Yo, what's going on? Happy Monday and welcome to another edition of Vikings Vantage presented by Pepsi. I hope everyone's week is off to a great start. My name is Gabe Henderson from the Vikings Entertainment Network. And as always, I'm joined by Tatum Everett from Vikings.com. And tonight we have the special privilege of being joined by a special friend of the show. His name is Ben Gessling from the Star Tribune. And Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, this is the most baffling season out of your decade covering the Vikings? Uh, you are correct. Okay. Uh, you are not wrong. I will not correct that. I, it, it's funny because at the beginning of the year, I, I remember saying I this season has the potential to be one of the more fascinating I've covered just because it could go any which way. And yet it has somehow exceeded that in terms of how the games have actually gone. I mean, you kind of thought they could be in the playoff mix or better or it could go completely the other way and if you were not following the Vikings closely and you just looked at the record and said six and seven okay that's fairly in the middle of the pack fairly nondescript but the games and the way they've gone mm-hmm. and the the swings obviously uh it's been quite a different story so yeah it's been it's been one of the wilder years and that's saying a lot because we <laughs> see a lot in this team so one of the most wild I've covered for sure the Steelers game may have been just the the personification of how this entire season has yes. gone. Yeah, well, Mike Zimmer said it after the game that the first half they looked like they could beat anybody, and the second half they looked like they could get beat by anybody. And that it's probably the quote of the year in some ways because it's yep. a microcosm of how this whole thing has gone. At one point it looks like this team could make a long run, mm-hmm. and then at other points it's like, oh boy, there's <laughs> there's a lot to get fixed here. But here we are, we 15, I guess it is, of, of 18. I have to do the math in my head of where yeah. we are now with this longer schedule. But mm-hmm. four games left, three in the division, all of them in the conference, and it's all on the table. So it's it certainly will be a fascinating oh, yeah. final chapter. All yeah. of them matter. And especially after getting a win on Thursday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, we know, like you said, it was a close game that should not have been close, but yeah. still the Vikings yeah. came out on top. And to put this Steelers game to rest, uh, we have a segment that we do here called That's What We Like. Tatum, I'll start with you. Give give Ben some some time to gather his thoughts. Well, but I hope I don't steal your thunder here by choosing Dalvin Cook as my <laughs> uh, what I liked from this game. I just thought this was finally that moment I wanted to see out of Dalvin Cook. And to do that while injured, the way he is wearing a harness is just showing you just his grit, his toughness, his dedication to the team, how badly he wants to get this team to a playoff win. But I am just so impressed by the way he runs in between the tackles and yeah. the way that he can just accelerate in open speed in open space. And I, you know, for me being new to the team, I hadn't really seen that yet. And of course, I think he's one of the best in the league. I've watched highlights of him before, but being able to see him in person play the way that he did on Thursday was the moment for me that was like, that is that is Dalvin Cook. This team goes wherever Dalvin Cook takes them. And granted, he hasn't been here every single game this season. He's been injured. But when Dalvin is playing at his all-time highest, I don't think there's a better running back in the league. Like You can argue Derrick Henry or Christian McCaffrey, but yeah. What we saw out of Dalvin on Thursday, like you don't like we're kind of spoiled, but like still it was it's still a it's like Disney on ice. It's still it's still amazing to see. <laughs> well, and he put the Steelers on skates. Yeah, to, exactly. To continue the analogy. Oh, love it. I that doesn't really steal my thunder. I was going to go with the running game, but I'll expand on that okay. a little bit because I thought as good as Dalvin Cook was the the game plan and the way they blocked for mm-hmm. him were the were the ones that I was mm-hmm. thinking of because the whole thing I thought worked as well as we've seen it all year in a couple of ways. It was the zone runs like we've seen. Uh, that's going to be a staple of this offense 
as long as this group is here. And and we saw a number of those where the Steelers are over pursuing and you catch guys out of gaps and the cutback lanes are big enough to drive a truck through. And, you know, the, the whole first half, it was a lot of that. But they put in early in the game, they had some more power runs, you know, some mm-hmm. trap stuff with pulling guards. There was, I think, one where they had Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook in the backfield mm-hmm. split with on either side of Kirk Cousins. Jefferson motions out. You get a light box, and Cook has a big run off of that. There was some creative stuff in the running game, both in the old school kind of power football gap scheme runs they had, and then some of the spread stuff they did. So Dalvin Cook looked like he came in that into that game on a mission, but they also did a great job of giving him space to run before yeah. he got hit, which has been a problem this year. There's yeah. been a lot of games where he has not had that kind of space, and you saw it where – if he has room to get going and hit the line of scrimmage with a full head of steam, either to cut back or just take it downhill, he's awfully tough to stop. And yeah. that part of it, I think, was uh, as encouraging as anything we saw Thursday night. Yeah, you made a good point there. Mm-hmm. Clint Kubiak, for sure, is probably player of the game, if not coach of the game, in my opinion, because to look at what the Pittsburgh Steelers were giving up on film, how yeah. they allowed a lot of cutback runs outside zone plays, and then still be able to exploit that, and then put guys in positions to be able to continue to do so time and time after again, you, you got to give hats off to him. So Dalvin Cook, just another example of him just doing what he does best, but Clint Kubiak also having a great day. Yeah. But if I had one thing, one thing that I liked about Sunday, I, I, I got to stick on the offensive side of the ball and go with this offensive line. Yeah. Third time this season they haven't allowed a sack in a game. Uh, Kirk Cousins, we know when he is protected, when he has time to throw the ball, when he has time to look off a of defense, he's top 10 quarterback in the league. Yeah. And granted, with no Darisol, granted, with the same offensive line that was out there against the Detroit Lions, they answered the call. Well, you got a guy in TJ Watt who, granted, only played a quarter, but still a, a dynamic defensive line in the Pittsburgh Steelers. You hold them to zero sacks. That says a lot about how good your O line can be. Kirk, I think he was only pressured six or seven times. Yeah. So to that point, this offensive line, a new look offensive line, kudos to them. Like not many holding penalties. We didn't see many times Mm -hmm. where we were behind the sticks. Even when we were, we were able to advance the ball past the sticks. I I think it was a second and 20. And it was, it might have been a holding or or, or something. It might have been on Bradbury, a holding. Like one of the few holdings of the games. Next play, Tyler Conklin, 20-yard catch. It's like. Man, you, you know they're going to blitz you on, on second and 20. And the fact that you gave Kirk time and actually able to move the sticks, um, I mean, 300 yards in the first half, you you can't you can't write a better ship than that. No, I mean, the offense in the first half especially was as good as we've seen it all year, both from like we like Tatum and I have talked about with the running game and what you're now bringing up with the passing game. They had plenty of opportunities to hit big plays, and that game probably could have been even more out of reach. I mean, mm-hmm. Cousins had a couple – that just went off Justin Jefferson's hand. The, yeah. the one, the the throw kind of from the right hash to the back corner oh, of the end zone, that was one of the oh. best throws we've ever seen Kirk Cousins make. Yeah. And it's it's a it's an inch away from me in a touchdown. Mm-hmm. I think that drive turned into a field goal, and there was another drive that mm-hmm. uh, I think there was a big pass that went off Jefferson's hand. In the yeah. second half, um, the one he – it was it was a great yes, throw. But yes, I mean, the one that would have required a, a highlight reel catch to, to make where he goes up with the one hand. Right. I think it, he had one where he got hit as he was jumping up to try to make a leaping grab as well. So there were opportunities there for probably even more big plays. And they scored you know, 36 points without Cousins even hitting, I think, more than 50-something percent of his passes, which is not the typical way he goes about <laughs> it. The completion percentage is typically 65 70%. And 
if it's in that range, given the big plays they had chances to take, this game's probably even more productive for the offense. So, yeah, overall, there's a lot to like there. I think that all goes back to Kubiak, though, if you think about it. All the, all the complaints about the way that he hasn't opened up the playbook or taken shots down the field and the fact that Justin Jefferson, sure, he missed a couple of those yeah. throws and maybe maybe they didn't connect on those long balls, but it's great to see them taking those chances against a defense that we knew was going to challenge the Vikings. Yeah, if you're getting the looks, if you're getting things blocked up, if you're getting guys open, then it's just a matter of executing and Justin Jefferson does not typically have that type of a night very often. So it's one of those where you say, okay, if we can repeat that formula, we go back to that more often than not, we're going to be successful with it. And then we come into the game, these two teams came into the game as the number one and number two in leading like in sacks yes. as, as far as some, one, it was one and two. Yes. So that was like the, the number one thing that people were talking about. Who's going to get more sacks? And Kudos to our old line, and then our defensive line got five sacks in the first half. Like it was raining purple yeah. in that in that stadium. Yeah, kind of kind of an old school game plan from Mike Zimmer in the sense that the double leg gap blitzes that mm-hmm. have been the staple for so long that we've seen them kind of move away from as they've become popular around the league and teams learn how to block them. They went back to that. It was if we're gonna go down swinging, we're gonna go down with the stuff that got us here. It was Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks, and then Harrison Smith coming off the edge. I think Smith only really went after Roethlisberger the one time, the mm-hmm. one time they sent him, and then he gets a, a sack on the blind side. But just that threat of him being there, even when he's dropping out, gave the Steelers a lot to think about. And that's a young offensive line. So mm-hmm. you can do a lot to confuse and confound that group. And they did. And you, c- you continue to create pressure with Barr and Kendricks. Sheldon Richardson gets a sack, I think, off of a <laughs> blitz look. Mm-hmm. So for them to continue to do what they did, I thought was a big part of it as well. What is your main takeaway about this team just from just from this game? It's kind of emblematic of the season. The big run the Steelers go on in the second half, that has been a problem in the sense that touchdowns given up in two-minute drills normally in the first half, but also we've seen it in the second half and they come close to that and, and the defense just kind of seemed like it, it, it let off the gas a little bit and, and the Steelers get back in that game. That, if the Vikings are going to make the type of run that it will take to get into the playoffs, mm-hmm. probably can't happen again. I mean, it's there's five or six teams here sitting at six and seven. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason why the Vikings aren't the team that has the best chance to go. The quarterback situation the Vikings have is more stable than anybody else's. Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, that, that duo of playmakers is not one that anybody else in this thing still has. Yes, there's tough games against the Rams and the Packers. Yes, you have to beat the Bears twice. But there is enough there that if they clean up the things that made that game awfully close, there's every reason to think they can get it done and and get that playoff spot. They should get it done, and we got more to get done after the break with Ben Gessling. Stay tuned. Don't turn it out. Hey, Vikings fans, this football season, make Pepsi your go-to game day drink because it's the only drink for football watching. Pepsi, that's what I like. Hey, Vikings fans, right now you can pick up a commemorative Vikings cup at your local Hy-Vee. Fill it with an ice-cold Pepsi and you'll be ready for football watching. All right, we're back. This is Vikings Vantage presented by Pepsi, a Monday edition of Vikings Vantage. The show usually airs on Friday. It will still air this Friday at 6.30 p.m. right here on the Vikings Radio Network, KFAN. A bonus addition to you guys and Ben. Um, The title of your article in the Star Tribune on Friday morning, was flirting with disaster. (laughs) I loved it. 
But would you say that's that's the theme of this Vikings team this year? Well, they've flirted with disaster. They flirted with greatness. I yeah. think it's, they've they've done a lot of flirting on both <laughs> sides of it, I guess. But um, certainly Thursday night, that was that was the case. I, it's always kind of fun for me to open up the paper on Friday morning and see. We still do have two or three photographers at every game. We have four reporters there, and and the the game gets the big spread in terms mm-hmm. of big color photos and all the the content inside the paper so it's always fun to kind of see what the the big i love it banner headline and the big type <laughs> is going to be on my story so that one our, we our headline group does a great job with that it was a fun one to open up and see because that that hit it exactly right okay i have to ask if there was like a runner-up so sometimes i go back and look and see what other things they were tossing around i haven't done it for this one but um i'll go back and i'm and sure check they're it pretty out. creative <laughs> they they have a lot of i mean ideas get tossed sure. around sometimes it's very obvious but uh one of the problems is the first edition of the paper. So we have to file a story for the night games mm. for the outstate edition at like 9.45. So oh. you're, you're sort of, it's in the middle of the game and you're saying, well, here's where it was at. That story was very different than the one that <laughs> actually went in the city paper. I was just say that you probably just have to flip a coin because you're, I mean, that, but that's all, that's the season. Yep. So many times you're sitting there, you're trying to file your paper, your story, you're writing the first half, you start to write the end of it and then whoop, there yep. goes that lead, there goes this. Yep. And So I covered baseball for five years and most of the baseball teams I covered were bad. And actually, I think all of the baseball teams I covered were bad. I covered the Nationals for four years before they got oh. they, the teams that were bad enough to get Steven Strasburg and Bryce Harper were the ones that I covered. And I covered the Twins for a year when they were bad enough to get, I think, Byron Buxton in mm-hmm. the draft. So a lot of these players that have come around have been because of the bad teams that I've covered. And bad teams typically have bad bullpens. Bad bullpens mean you blow up stories on deadline. Mm-hmm. So those five years have prepared me very well <laughs> for this season. I, I find myself drawing back on that that exercise quite a bit. Well, speaking of runner-up, it's looking like we're going to finish runner-up in our division this yep. year with the Green Bay Packers winning. The Correct. magic number is one. Yep. And the sense of urgency, it, it has to heighten right now. Mike Zimmer and his locker room sound after the game on Thursday basically said, we got to win, win now. What does, what does this level of urgency mean to you? It's certainly cranked up these next four weeks here. And and the fact that three of these, even if the division is not in play, the fact that three of these are division games I do think matters because these are teams that you know mm-hmm. quite well and these are teams that you see twice a year. They haven't seen the Bears yet, obviously, but you have a lot of tape on the Bears from having played them, playing having played Matt Nagy's offenses mm-hmm. six times in the last three years. You have the Packers for the second time this year, of course, and and then the Rams are a team that they've seen, you know, periodically over the years. But the sense of urgency could not be any higher because this thing is is wide open for them to take that that seventh spot. Maybe even the six, although the 49ers winning yesterday mm-hmm. probably makes that more difficult mm-hmm. given tiebreaker scenarios and all of that. But yeah, the the sense of urgency could not be at any higher of a level over these next four, especially when you look at the matchups being as tough as they are. Soldier yeah. Field's a tough place to play no matter what the Bears are doing. And, and the Bears last night yeah. looked like they, uh, they, they made it a little again. More, they did. And they showed a little bit of the playmaking ability they have on offense, which I was frankly a little surprised to see. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I mean, going into this Monday night football game, they've obviously have a mini bye week, as you could say, yep. to rest the injuries or, you know, I mean, well, at this point in the season, your body's pretty banged up and yeah. they had an early bye. So they've had some time to rest, recuperate 
But this looks like a tricky Bears team last yeah. night. And as I'm watching the game, I'm like, man, this this could be one of those. I don't want to say Lions games because I really don't want to go there. But one of those games where you think that you have the big advantage. But when you get in there, anything can happen because you don't know how this Bears team is going to show up. Especially when you're playing Justin Fields for the first time. Yeah. I think that adds mm-hmm. another element to the whole thing because you have to be able to, as Mike Zimmer often talks about with these mobile quarterbacks, rush him responsibly in a way that doesn't let him get out of the pocket. The Packers had a number of them last night where mm-hmm. I'm sitting there watching the game and and it was almost Mike Zimmer's message that he relays in press conferences a lot of times was in the back of my head. Like The Packers came underneath the tackle a couple times and gave Fields an escape lane to get outside. I'm sitting there saying they didn't rush him right. Yeah. And you know what Zimmer talks about so often – I'm sure we'll get emphasized again this week with that game tape. Of this is what happens with this guy when you let him out. And uh, that's going to be, a, a, I think, a big focus to try to slow him down in this one. And I think a big piece to slowing him down is going to be Harrison Smith. Yeah. Um, what he does in disguise, we hear about it every week. And, of course, this year it's not showing up in the interceptions category. Right. But still, his level of impact on the game, he's leading the NFL for safeties in Pro Bowl votes, and it's looking like he's on his way to another all-pro year. Your thoughts on just his play thus far this year? Thursday night, I thought, was as good of an example of what he still means to this team as we've seen all year. He gets the contract at the beginning of the season, and he's still one of the best in the league, but he's in his early 30s. Is that mm-hmm. going to be a, a sound long-term investment? How is that going to play? But he has played in a way that kind of shows he's still worth it because he does so many things that either show up in terms of sacks or anything else on the statistical category, interceptions, (laughs) all of that sort of stuff. But there's so much, like you mentioned, that affects the quarterback in a way that doesn't show up, whether it's that, yes, they check down or that somebody else has a clean lane to the quarterback because they're accounting for Harrison Smith and protection. Mm-hmm. There's all, just a lot they do with him, and, and so much of it there's in a he's holding his disguise to the last second and then sprinting back to a deep alignment. That is really, I think, the thing that he does better than anybody else is that he can show like he's going to pressure and bail to get to deep coverage and execute his responsibilities as well as he does. I think that Bears game last year in Chicago is like the perfect example. Yeah, and that's the type of player when you're facing a quarterback like Justin Fields that hasn't seen him yet or hasn't probably seen a lot of safeties like him that I think becomes a big factor in this one because he's good Mm -hmm. at understanding when he has the freedom to take chances he's good at baiting quarterbacks he's good at all of the things that we're talking about disguising just things that help present a picture that a quarterback thinks this is what I'm getting and then you find out too late oh no this is not what I thought I was getting (laughs) and then that turns into a game-changing play yeah I loved afterwards or I guess uh on Friday uh, Patrick Peterson talking about, hey, these old guys can still play. Yeah. They still got it. But it really is it really is of note that when you have the veteran leadership back in the lineup, you have Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks, Harrison Smith, Patrick Peterson, how much better or more elevated this, yeah. this defense looks out there. I thought about this as Patrick Peterson was saying all of that on Friday. Patrick Peterson is uh, probably on the track to Canton. And Harrison Smith, I think, is the number certainly would suggest that he's going to be in that conversation. Probably a couple more Pro Bowls, a couple more All-Pros. Maybe those things happened in the last half of his career. That probably helps his case. But statistically, he's going to be in that conversation. Yeah. So having two guys in that secondary, even when you have younger corners, I, I think just settles a lot of things down. You have a lot of you have two guys that have seen it all and know what they need to do both during the week and then on game day. I, I think that makes an awfully big difference. So it was it was interesting to hear Patrick Peterson talk about it 
just in terms of what he sees because he knows as well as anybody what it takes and his vantage point on Harrison Smith was awfully interesting to hear. My final question um, is KJ Osborne, great game. Yeah. 62-yard touchdown. Needed him to step up in a big moment. But we know at some point Adam Thielen is going to come back. Longer rest period this week. Do you think it's important to have him back this week or would you push it back another week? With a high ankle sprain, it's just it's a difficult one to come back from quickly. So I think if they have the ability to rest him, I would not be surprised if they do that mm-hmm. just to to give it enough time to heal up because yeah. you're going to need him against the Rams and mm-hmm. against the Packers. I think if you're able to rest him, you probably try to do that just to let this thing calm down. But uh, yeah, if they can get him back, all the better. But KJ Osborne certainly shows that you have another weapon that hasn't been here in the past where if one of these receivers is out, they can say, okay, we'll, we'll be all right because yeah. we still got another guy. I, I think his development this year has been one of the bigger bonuses for this offense because mm-hmm. you thought at the beginning of the season, okay, Irv Smith's going to be that guy and then Irv right. goes down. So KJ Osborne stepping into that role as a as a reliable third target, I think, for Kirk has been a big part of why the offense has played as well as it has. When it's looked good, it's been in a lot of parts because Kirk can trust his receivers and Osborne gives him another guy that he can trust, I think. As we wrap things up, anything Vikings fans should be paying attention for that you're working on? Yeah, we've got a big feature on Dalvin Tomlinson and a lot of the the work he has done with kids who have gone through the same situation that he has, losing parents at a young age. He's done a lot of work to connect with kids and, and just kind of help them realize, mm-hmm. hey, you're not alone. And uh, that will be in Sunday's Star Tribune. So excited yes. to put that one together. Was was talking to a couple of Dalvin's good friends and his brother and talked with Dalvin a couple of weeks ago and then talked to some of the folks that he's worked with in, in charities down in Georgia. And uh, he's, he's done a lot of really important work. Yeah. And just just a fascinating guy. He's one of the most interesting players I've ever met. Like so yeah. many layers. Mm-hmm. So many layers. What about you, Tatum? We've got a our game day live one on one this week. It'll air on Fox Nine on Sunday. Is with Dalvin Cook. Nice, really great to hear from him. I think to have a sit down with him and talk to him uh, him about just the what it took to come back and and have a moment like he had on Thursday. So we're really excited about that. We'll also have the Minnesota Vikings podcast coming out on Wednesday or Thursday this week. It's a little bit of a weird week for us since we've got that Monday game. Well, Vikings fans, stay tuned to the Audible this week on Thursday. Uh, Michael Pierce is the guest this week, so it'll be good to talk to him about just his return to football and just some of the things that he had to overcome to get back to this point. And Lewis Riddick, my guy, ESPN Monday Night Football. He is the network talent interview this week, so stay tuned to Vikings.com for that. we got so much going on this week, opposing viewpoints. Um, Another Vikings Vantage on Friday, so stay tuned, stay locked in, go to StarTribune.com, follow Ben Gessling at Ben Gessling now. Just switch the Twitter <laughs> handle. The Very other. nice. I, it was Gessling Strib before, but then some people don't know what Strib is. So I just like, I'm just going to make it simple. It's just Ben Gessling now. Ben Gessling. Well, for Ben Gessling, Tatum Everett, and Jay Nelson on the ones and twos, my name is Gabe Henderson. And thank you again for tuning into another edition of Vikings Vantage presented by Pepsi. Pepsi, that's what I like.